you're looking for Orioles signings, well, we don't quite have those yet. But we do have Orioles rumors for potential signings, and we do have some arbitration deals and news coming out on Thursday. And we'll get to it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, January 11th, 2024, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to get to some Orioles news and notes. The O's have been connected to two free agents over the past week or so. Marcus Stroman as a starting pitcher and Ryan Brazier as a reliever. I'll break down both of those guys, what they would cost, and if I would sign them, and if the O's did, how they would fit on this Orioles roster. And then we'll talk a little bit about arbitration as the deadline to come to an agreement to avoid arbitration was here on Thursday. But that is all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So before we jump into the episode, for those of you watching on YouTube, and again, if you haven't already, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. You can see my background is slightly different. Now, it's not super different from what it was the past couple of episodes, but I have made the move. I am in the new house. It is, I guess, day the, the first full day right now here on Thursday in the new house. Now, when you have a lot of things to unpack after a move and you're only in day two, generally the Orioles bobbleheads onto the shelf is not a top priority. So because of that, we're going to look a little blank. The lighting's not going to be amazing for a few episodes here but I'm going to do what I can to get the background back up to where I want to be as I really settle into how I want it to maybe look, look a little different here at the new digs. But the move was successful. Um, one piece of advice, a non-baseball piece of advice for anyone who is moving, just hire the movers. Is it expensive? It can be expensive. It is so worth it. This is not an ad, no free ads, but shout out to Charm City Movers who moved all my stuff, got to the old place, at noon, they were gone from the new place with everything moved in at 1.30. It took them 90 minutes. Incredible. Get movers. Now, the Orioles are potentially hoping that they'll bring in some more players this offseason who may need to get some movers, as they could change cities before opening day 2024. How about that transition? And let's start with Marcus Stroman, because among the players the Orioles have been linked to in rumors over the past couple of days... Stroman is the most notable name that is out there. And Mark Feinsand of MLB.com earlier in the week reporting that the Orioles are connected with Marcus Stroman. Now, I do want to preface this with the fact that a couple days after that report, reports came out from John Morosi and others that the Yankees are now essentially at the top of the list for Marcus Stroman. They are the favorites to get him. Now, as of here about 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, January 11th, Stroman is still a free agent. It does seem like the Yankees are the front runners, but nothing set in stone at this point. And a report that the O's are connected with a starter, that is enough for what has been a, a pretty slow offseason at this point. And Stroman is not someone I've talked about 
a lot this offseason. I've talked about him a little bit, just perusing through the starting pitching market in terms of free agency. But he would be an interesting fit. And I wanted to break down what that fit would be. Stroman at this point is 32 years old. Been in the big league since 2014. We know him well for his time with the Blue Jays. Had some dust-ups with the Orioles. Since then has also pitched for the Mets and the Cubs. And is now a free agent after opting out of his deal this offseason. Now, I've talked about John Becker's free agency matrix over at Fangraphs a lot this offseason. He pulls together all the contract projections to get a one singular average projection. That projection for Stroman is a three-year, $63 million contract. So basically $21 million per year for a guy who, you know, on a good team is a number three starter and maybe is on an okay team as a number two starter. That is a valuable pitcher, and that's right around where those guys are going for $21 million per year. But there are a lot of projections out there to predict that Stroman gets more of a two-year deal, and we're seeing a lot in like the two-year $44 million range. That's been a lot more of the recent projections. And for the Orioles to even be interested here, nothing they've shown me says they're going to give out three years and 60-plus million for any player. Now, they still haven't given out a multi-year free agent contract to anyone since Michael Elias took over as GM. But I could see them maybe giving out a two-year deal to the right starting pitcher. I don't think they're opposed to that. They seem to be opposed to anything over two years. I think they would give out two years. So if Stroman was costing more like two years, $40 million, I think the Orioles could go that direction. Now, is $20 million a year too expensive for John Angelos? Probably. He would probably cry about it. But it's possible for the O's that he is in their price range. Now, I still think if the Orioles are going to sign any pitcher, it's going to be more of a veteran on a one-year deal. I just don't see them giving out a multi-year deal. And I still, even though his price is seemingly going down a little bit, I do not see after opting out Marcus Stroman taking a one-year deal anywhere this offseason. I think he's gunning for at least a two-year, you know, 20-plus million dollars per year deal. So we shall see. But Here's what the O's would get with Marcus Stroman. He's been with the Cubs the last couple of years, and last season, it was certainly up and down. He made 27 appearances, 25 starts, and threw only 136 and two-thirds innings because of injury, which we'll get to. Now, he did have a 3.95 ERA and a 3.58 FIP, and his 57% ground ball rate. He's always been a ground ball pitcher, but that ground ball rate was one of the best of his careers, and that was the third highest ground ball rate among pitchers that threw at least 100 innings in the big leagues last year. That's pretty elite for keeping the ball on the ground, which is always better than letting other teams hit the ball in the air. His 21% strikeout rate was, you know, league average-ish, but his 9% walk rate was a career high. Most walks per inning that Stroman has ever allowed in a season last year. And the reason why his season was so up and down is that Marcus Stroman in the first half last year was incredible. 2.28 ERA for Stroman through his first 16 starts. He made the all-star team in the NL with the Cubs. And then basically right after the trade deadline, August 2nd, he goes on the injured list. They call it hip inflammation. And he had been terrible. Like he probably should have gone on the IL earlier because he had a 9.11 ERA in the month of July. And the Cubs just kept sending him out there to get destroyed. It was pretty clear that something was bothering him. And finally, August 2nd, he goes on the IL. And then two weeks later, they kind of changed the wording of the injury. They call it a rib cartilage fracture, which is pretty rare, especially for pitchers to pick up that injury. And because it was so rare for a pitcher, there was really no timetable for Stroman to come off the IL. Some people thought his season was over. Some people thought, hey, it could be a month and he could be back. Nobody really knew what was going to happen with Marcus Stroman. Well, eventually, 
He did come back on September 15th with about two weeks left in the season, but he clearly was not right. He was not built all the way back up. They brought him back basically as a reliever. He made four appearances, two starts, two in relief, but every single appearance was three innings or less. He clearly wasn't built up to be a starter at that point. The Cubs basically were just, you know, in that wild card race and they wanted to do anything they could to try and sneak into the playoffs. They couldn't get it done, but Stroman wanted to come back and help them out. But it just, it didn't work out and he had his injury issues. And he had injury issues in 2022 with the Cubs as well. It was very similar, only started 25 games, only threw 138 and two-thirds innings that year. And again, he was good when he was on the mound, had a 3.50 ERA in 2022, but he missed time with shoulder issues that season. And so now it's back-to-back years with injury concerns for Stroman. And that halts me a little bit. Now, he's kind of a kitchen sink guy. He's got six pitches, sinker, slurve, cutter, four-seamer, splitter, and slider that Marcus Stroman throws. His sinker and his slurve, that's really his his main one-two punch. Nothing's been super elite recently. The sinker and the slurve has always been, though, his best pitches, and they have had elite seasons. But again, he's just a guy who sinks it, throws it away from hitters, gets soft contact, and is able to get through a season like that. Now, if the O's did bring him in, you're probably looking at him slotting into the number three spot. Bradish, Rodriguez, then Stroman, then John Means, then Dean Kramer probably makes up your opening day rotation if you did bring him in. But there's other things that go along with Marcus Stroman that make me hesitant. Now, it's not, I think, the main thing people think of with Stroman, which is kind of, he's fiery on the mound, right? He is one of the more outgoing players when he's on the mound. He wears his emotion on his sleeve. He you know, is a very much a, you know, height doesn't measure heart kind of guy because he's very much on the shorter side in terms of pitchers in Major League Baseball, one of the shorter pitchers that's had any success in the league over the last decade or so. But we know he can be hot-headed. It can turn into from passion to hot-headed. He's thrown at multiple Orioles, including I think the most famous dust-up he's had is when he threw at the head of Caleb Joseph back when he was with the Blue Jays. Don't think Orioles fans have forgotten about that one. But that's not the thing as much that... I think is the issue with Marcus Stroman besides his straight up pitching and his data on his pitches. Yes, that getting overboard can be an issue, but as he's matured and gotten older and into his thirties, there hasn't really been, you know, the same amount of kind of head hunting going on by Stroman. It's more about him taking to social media, talking about things on the field that kind of gets out of hand. And the fact that with Marcus Stroman, this is something you cannot just gloss over He, you know, tweeting, posting a lot of things, siding with Kyrie Irving, siding with Kanye West, a lot of anti-Semitic things on his social media, and that's not okay. That is not something I think the Orioles are going to want in that clubhouse, and he's certainly got a lot of fire. He's got a lot of passion. He certainly contains multitudes, but that's a very, very concerning part of having Marcus Stroman around your team. And it's not just, oh, it's a distraction. That is a clear issue and would be a clear issue for guys in that Orioles clubhouse and will be a clear issue for a lot of Orioles fans as well. It's just not okay. So that's kind of the entire ball you get when you get Marcus Stroman. To me, I would shy away. It worries me that the past two seasons have been riddled with injuries and that he walked the most batters he ever had. Last year, you combine that with maybe not the number one guy you want in your locker room. I would stay away. 
I think the Orioles will anyway in the long run because I think he'll want closer to that three-year, $63 million projected deal. And I just don't see the Orioles giving that out to any player, unfortunately. But that's where I stand on Stroman, but it seems like the O's are at least kicking the tires right there. But there's another guy the Orioles were connected to that I'm going to say I'm a little more interested in on the pitching market. Now, it is a reliever in Ryan Brazier, but it's someone that I think could really help the middle part of this Orioles bullpen as he has been connected to the O's and we'll talk about Brazier and how he could fit in with Baltimore coming up right after this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Jace Medical. Now you've probably heard me talk about Jace Medical on this show before, but Jace Medical, the big thing they got going for him, it is called the Jace case. And the Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics that help you treat a long list of illnesses. Now to get the Jace case, it can be truly a lifesaver. You just visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use the offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. So we're running through some Orioles news and notes here on this Thursday evening episode. Did want to get you an update on what the show is going to look like the rest of the week because of the move, because of everything going on. It looks like this will just be a two episode week. If you missed Monday's episode, go back and check that one out. Did a Sunday night live mailbag into the Monday episode, answered a plethora of topics. It was a really good episode, did a live mailbag answering your questions. We get to this one here as well, and then we'll be back to three, potentially four episodes a week next week to make up for it. But wanted to talk about Ryan Brazier as well, because Marcus Stroman was not the only pitcher that the Orioles were connected to in the last week or so, as the rumor mill goes, despite the fact that there aren't a lot of actual moves happening at the moment. And John Heyman, respected baseball reporter of the New York Post, reported last week that six teams, including the Orioles, are interested in right-handed reliever Ryan Brazier. The Orioles, along with the Cardinals, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Cubs, and the Rangers, all good teams, I would say, except for the Angels, have shown interest in the 36-year-old right-handed reliever. Now, according to John Becker's free agency matrix, Brazier projected right now for a one-year, $5 million deal in free agency, and the Orioles have already added one reliever, signing Craig Kimbrell to a $13 million deal for one year to basically come in, be the stopgap, and fill in for Felix Bautista as the Orioles' closer in 2024. Kimbrell does have a team option for 2025 if he really pitches well, but if he doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt them too, too badly. I have continued to say this, and I still think this, even with getting Kimbrell to fill that closer role, I think the Orioles could use one more reliever to give them more depth and more assurance in that bullpen. And that guy could be Ryan Brazier. And you remember how the Michael Givens deal last year, which was essentially this, right? Right about one year, $5 million the Orioles gave to Givens was a complete disaster. He pitched in what, four games? He had two different injuries, the knee issue, then the shoulder issue, and the Orioles just released him mid-season. It was an absolute disaster. Let's do maybe a better job of that this year. Because if you're thinking, oh, the Orioles got Kimbrell to replace Bautista, they don't need another, another reliever. You know, they've got so many options that could be bullpen arms in AAA. And while that's true, I think they'll need another guy because they clearly thought they needed Givens last year, despite how good the bullpen was in 2022. So if you're saying Kimbrell replaces Bautista, 
then if the O's are thinking the same way, they'll still want a Michael Givens type, a veteran guy to come in in middle relief. And at the very least, maybe be that fallback option if Dylan Tate isn't fully back to what we know he can be. Dylan Tate, I mean, we he missed all of 2023 with the forearm and elbow issues. He seems to be healthy and, and ready to go for spring training, but you just don't know. And that's a guy you could rely on if he's healthy, but if he's not, it would be so nice to have another reliable veteran arm in middle relief. And that could be Ryan Brazier. And I actually have talked about him already this offseason because back in November, I did my top 10 list, my wish list for Orioles free agents. And when I did the relief pitcher list, number 10 to kick off the list was right-handed pitcher Ryan Brazier, someone I would have liked the Orioles to bring in. Now, Brazier is a guy who debuted with the Angels in the big leagues all the way back in 2013, got a cup of coffee, and then did not come back to the majors until 2018 with the Boston Red Sox. He had Tommy John in 2014, bounced around the minors for a couple years, pitched in Japan in 2017, and then was signed by the Red Sox in 2018 and brought up to the big leagues. And Brazier had a really good run with the Red Sox. From 2018 through 2021, Ryan Brazier, in 134 appearances out of the bullpen, had a 3.49 ERA in that four-year stretch with Boston. He was a really reliable middle reliever for the Sox in that time. And they went into 2022 thinking, all right, Brazier is a, you know, go-to middle relief option on the opening day roster. And Brazier stayed on that team most of the year. He pitched by far a career high 62 and a third innings in 2022, but things kind of fell apart. He posted a 5.78 ERA that year, by far the worst of his career. Now the strikeouts were still high and the walks were still low and the Red Sox just could not figure out what was going on? His FIP was much lower. It seemed he was getting unlucky, but it was still a large enough sample size for you to scratch your head. So the Red Sox do bring him back to the bullpen in 2023 because they think it can't get this bad. Well, it got worse. 21 innings for the first six weeks of the season. He posts a 7.29 ERA, and the Red Sox just release him. They're like, we're not sure what happened to this guy. Strikeouts went down, walks went up, and he gets released on May 21st. Well, a couple weeks later, the Dodgers come by and say, I think we know what made him good early in his time with the Red Sox. And I think we can make him even better. The Dodgers sign him to a minor league deal, and the Dodgers call him up on June 21st to the big leagues, and the rest is history. Ryan Brazier, down the stretch with the Dodgers, in 39 games, 38 and two-thirds innings, had a 0.70 ERA. Let me say that again, 0.70 ERA for Ryan Brazier down the stretch with the Dodgers. He was pivotal to that LA bullpen, 27% strikeout rate, well above league average, 7% walk rate below that, 51% ground ball rate, one of the best of his careers. He had among pitchers in the big leagues who threw at least 20 innings after June 21st, after when Brazier was called up. Ryan Brazier had the third lowest ERA of any pitcher in that stretch who threw at least 20 innings. He was legitimately a top five reliever in baseball down the stretch after the Dodgers signed him. That's how good he was. And what do they do? Well, they gave him a new pitch. He had never thrown a cutter before until he got to the Dodgers. Well, the cutter became his number two pitch. Opponents hit just 152 against it. He allowed just one extra base hit, one double, all year on that new cutter. Meanwhile, the Dodgers said, ditch your four-seam fast. I mean, he still threw it, but your four-seam fastball is not your main pitch anymore. It was by far his worst offering. Your slider is really good. Throw it even more. Well, opponents hit 120 against his slider with a really good 36% swing and miss rate. 
And the four-seam fastball, although he throws it at 96, he threw it less. He threw some more sinkers at 96 as well, which helped with the ground balls. And all of a sudden, he was just a dominant elite reliever in the Dodgers' bullpen. And I think with what the Orioles have been able to do with kind of not resurrecting pitchers, but finding out what's working and what's not and helping them fix it like the Dodgers do and like they did with Brazier, I think he could just keep on keeping on with what he was doing in L.A. in the middle of the Orioles' bullpen. And I think basically you would add him to in your Cano and CNL Perez and Danny Coulomb of the guys who you are trusting before you get to Craig Kimbrell in the ninth. Then you have four guys you really trust, and then you pick out of that group of maybe a healthy Dylan Tate or maybe a Brian Baker bounces back or a Mike Bauman bounces back and you know maybe a Jacob Webb wins a spot and then DL Hall you know probably falls his way into that trusting group as well as we get to see him more and more time you just end up making your bullpen better from the middle out that is what someone like Brian Brazier can do and you know he stayed healthy since he had that Tommy John surgery all the way back in 2014. He's been pretty much healthy since then, although he's been ineffective at times. He's going to stay healthy. He can give you 60-plus innings of middle relief, and he's probably not going to be as good as he was down the stretch with the Dodgers, but he's not going to be nearly as bad as he was with the Red Sox at the end. He's somewhere in the middle. That is a valuable middle reliever to have as just depth and just assurance in the middle of your bullpen. I would really like the O's to make that one-year deal if they could for Ryan Brazier. But one more thing to get to. Wanted to talk about arbitration. It was the deadline for it on Thursday. It's not a super meaningful deadline in the baseball offseason. Kind of lets you know more so what your payroll is looking like. But I think it's important to kind of explain what's going on here. Because I know a lot of fans get kind of confused about what goes on in this arbitration deadline day. We'll talk about it and what the Orioles did to finish off the pod coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season, it's over. It is Super Wildcard Weekend. It's playoff weekend this weekend in the NFL. And luckily, us Ravens fans can sit back and relax as the number one seed with the bye. But there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live, same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and you can do so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. So to finish things off here on a Thursday episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about arbitration and what goes on here. You may have seen it on social media from the Orioles writers that here on Thursday was the arbitration deadline. It is basically the last day for a team and a player to come to an agreement themselves on what that player will make salary-wise for the 2024 season. Now, this all gets started back in November at the non-tender deadline. Here's a breakdown of kind of how the arbitration process works. Now, once you've gotten to generally, and sometimes there's special cases here, and I don't want to get into those right here, but generally you get six years, right? When you get to the big leagues before you're a free agent. And generally in years one, two, and three, you are considered pre-arbitration. You make the league minimum a little bit more than the league minimum every year, but you don't make a whole lot of money. Then in general, when you get to year four in the big leagues out of six, you get to arbitration. And for those final three years on your quote-unquote rookie contract, you go to arbitration, which means 
the money you make in that year is based upon your performance in the previous season. So the first step is back in November, that non-tender deadline. Now the Orioles had 17 arbitration eligible players. They decided to tender a contract to all of them. Non-tendering means you're just saying, this guy's going to be making too much money next year. He doesn't do a lot for us. We're just going to non-tender him, a.k.a. you just release him, and he becomes a free agent earlier than he thought. But when you tender them a contract, which Joe's did to all 17, you said, we are basically putting an IOU on this player. We're saying, we will figure out what your salary is next year at a later date, but you can know we are continuing your contract for 2024. And that is what the Orioles did with all 17 of their players. Now, four of their players that were arbitration eligible, Jorge Mateo, Sam Hilliard, Keegan Aiken, and Ryan McKenna, the Orioles already came to agreements with those four players on what their salaries will be for 2024. So they are good to go and ready to go into next year. Now you have all that time between the non-tender deadline in November and here on January 11th to put those numbers together. But generally, teams mostly wait until the very last second here on January 11th, and that is what happened again. So the O's went into this final day with still 13 players without a number that they had. And here's where I think people get a little confused. And I think the baseball media in general could do a better job of kind of explaining how all of this works. You'll just see writers tweet out, you know, say today, the Orioles and John Means are in agreement on a one year, you know, three point whatever it was, million dollar contract, 3.325 million dollar contract. And I think people think, oh my gosh, was John Means a free agent? Good thing the Orioles brought him back on a one-year deal, but was John Means a free agent? No, 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 no. That is not how this works. Again, John Means, along with the other 12 guys that are in this group, they were already tendered a contract back in November. The Orioles said, hey, we are bringing you back for 2024. We'll just figure out later at the deadline how much money exactly you'll be making. So for example, the Orioles came to an agreement with John Means on Thursday for $3.325 million. Now, MLB trade rumors projected he would make about $6 million, so Means is actually going to make much less. The reason is he didn't pitch much last year, right? He missed almost all of 2022, and he missed almost all of 2023 with the Tommy John surgery and then the, backs, the, the back muscle setback that pushed his uh, return even further into 2023. Because of that, he's not going to make as much money because these arbitration numbers are performance-based. But that money that he's getting is just what he's getting in 2024. Now for means, he's in his final year of arbitration, his final year before he hits free agency. He will make about $3.3 million next year, and then means will become a free agent after 2024, unless the Orioles can work out a contract extension between now and you know November of this year when players do become free agents. And for eight of those 13 players today that still had their numbers to be decided, the Orioles came to an agreement. John Means, Dylan Tate, Cole Irvin, Ryan Mountcastle, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, Tyler Wells, and Ramon Arias are the eight players that the Orioles have come to a contract agreement with. That means the Orioles and the player negotiated and agreed on a number that that player will be paid in 2024 that is based off their performance with the O's in 2023. Now, there are five players who will go to arbitration, who the Orioles did not come to an agreement with. And that's okay. That does not mean they are becoming free agents here or anything like that. Austin Hayes, Ryan O'Hearn, 
Danny Coulomb, Jacob Webb, and CNL Perez are the five players who the Orioles will go to arbitration with. Again, just because they didn't agree to a number by Thursday, that doesn't mean they're off the Orioles. You know, they, they ran out of a deadline. This player's a free agent. No, no, no. All five of those players, unless they're traded at some point, will be Orioles in 2024 and will be at spring training. The only difference is the teams, they were just too far apart in what they thought the player, the team and the player, they were too far apart on what they thought the player was worth for the 2024 season. So they basically now go to arbitration. What that means is they bring in a third party, an objective third party who comes in, the Orioles submit a number, the player submits a number, and that third party doesn't make their own decision, just looks at both numbers, looks at the stats from the player in 2023, and decides which number is a better fit. The arbitration person either sides with the team, sides with the player, and decides what that number is. Once they make their decision, that is the player's salary for 2024. And they, again, are on the team. And then unless they are an impending free agent, like Ryan O'Hearn is, like John Means is, like Anthony Santander is, they go through the process all over again this time next offseason. It is very confusing, but again, they are not free agent signings. These are guys already... They have a guaranteed contract. They're on the team. They're just trying to figure out the exact number. And just because they didn't agree by Thursday's deadline, they're not free agents. They are still Orioles. It's just a third party will come in and will decide what that number will be for 2024. And these things can get ugly. You're basically arguing. It's not like you just give the arbitrator your numbers and say, go for it yourself. The team and the player's agent, or sometimes the player themselves, go before that third party, and they do argue their points. It kind of turns into like a judge, and then you know you have your two sides in the courtroom. And sometimes it can get nasty. The teams will try to break down a player and knock them down to say they're actually worse than they think just so they can save a million dollars or so. It's one of the uglier parts of the game behind the scenes, and you always want the least amount of players possible to go to arbitration because generally every arbitration case, you're going to have the front office basically talking down about their own player to try to save money on them in front of their faces. It is not usually good. And the most public course of it has been Corbin Burns with the Brewers who basically came out last off season and said, yeah, we went to arbitration. They said all this bad stuff about me. And now I don't want to re-sign with the Brewers in free agency. That's how bad it can get. Hopefully that's not what happens between the Orioles and these five players. But again, all five of those guys will still be O's in 2024. And the only other two big arbitration things I want to talk about from around Major League Baseball. One, Juan Soto in his final year of arbitration awarded $31 million. That is the most anyone's ever gotten in arbitration because he's that good. And the other one is Dylan Cease, who is in arbitration with the White Sox. They came to an agreement for his salary figure to be 8 million dollars in 2024 that's right not only is dylan c's really good and not only should the orioles trade for him and they are interested and they are talking with the white Sox. you get a pitcher that good and next year he'll only cost you eight million dollars you paid kyle gibson more than that last year go get dylan cease but unless the orioles do go and get dylan cease between now and monday this will be the last episode for the week i'll try to unpack more, get myself a nice background behind me, and I will be back on Monday. We'll continue through the Orioles news and notes. Nice off day from work on Monday as well for many of you out there, but uh, got some other news coming up that we will get to 
on Monday. International signing period is going to open up next week. Orioles got some exciting names there. The O's made a minor league signing this week and talk about him. And also, unfortunately, when you bring in minor league players, you release some as well. Four Orioles minor leaguers were released last week. We'll talk about them too coming up on the pod next week. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, everyone.